When I was just about 14, I heard a series of addresses from the tabernacle. And I didn't know what the tabernacle was about now, when it was started, not the first thing. And before the rover, I had got a grasp of that structure and its end content that has remained with me to now. And I haven't changed a big lot over the years, uh, thinking about it. So that it was wonderful just to have that privilege as a boy. That just kept me, that when a man started to talk about things in the tabernacle, it was just clear to me, because I'd already had it outlined to me. I hope that when men are starting to speak about the temple and parts about it, that when these meetings are over, all of us will know exactly uh, what kind of a structure we're talking about and the purpose of it and so on. Now, I would like to read some scriptures, as you would know. The first will be in Second Samuel chapter 7. We won't be reading much where we return to, but we'll give you an idea. Second Samuel chapter 7 and uh, verse number 2. And the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I, will do, I dwell in an house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. Now, would you turn please to uh, Chronicles, First Chronicles, Chapter 21, verse 25, So David gave to Ornan for the place six hundred shekels of gold by weight. And David built there an altar unto the Lord, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and called upon the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire, upon the altar of burnt offering. And the Lord commanded the angel, and he put up his sword again into the sheath thereof. Verse 1 of chapter 22. And David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering. Now, verse uh, number 14. Now, behold, in my trouble I have prepared for the house of the Lord an hundred thousand talents of gold and a thousand thousand talents of silver and of brass and iron without weight for it is an abundance timber also and stone have I prepared thou mayest add there too moreover there are workmen with thee in abundance hewers and workers of stone and timber and all manner of cunning men for every manner of work. Now, would you turn over to chapter 28? Because this is important too. Chapter 28 and verse 11. First Chronicles 28 and verse 11. Then David gave to Solomon his son the pattern of the porch and of the houses thereof and of the treasuries thereof and of the upper chambers thereof and of the inner parlors thereof and of the place of the mercy seat. Verse 19. And all this did David the Lord make me to understand in writing by his hand uh, upon me. All this, said David, the Lord made me to understand in writing by his hand upon me even all the works of this uh, pattern. Now, I think we should maybe read a verse or two in the New Testament because really, without that, we wouldn't think of having these meetings. Now, John chapter 2 for a first, a very brief reading. I'm sorry for turning you to too many passages, but it's 
is to give us an idea. John chapter 2 and verse 19. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now verse 21. But he spake of the temple of his body. Now First Corinthians chapter 6, please. So these are better known verses. First Corinthians chapter six and uh, verse nineteen. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? That will do for our reading. <coughs> uh, first of all, we must try to get into our minds. Uh, what possessed any man to think of building a temple for God? You all know too well that in earlier times prior to the temple, the tabernacle was God's great dwelling place. Now that was a very important structure. The pattern had been given to Moses. It had been made in the wilderness. It had been carried for 40 years in the wilderness, or 38 anyhow, and right through the land, it had been settled in different quarters in the land, and there came that awful day, the saddest day of all, when the ark was taken out of it and never returned to it. That was a very sad day. Now the ark, as you all know, was a, a symbol of God's presence, and it was upon the mercy seat that God dwelt. And once it was taken out, for some reason I can't explain, but it never was brought back again. Now, the tabernacle existed in David's time, and the ark existed, but David put a separate tent up for it, and he never brought it back to where it originally belonged. That is, once it was carried away, and it had many a journey, we don't want to speak on it at all, but once it was carried out of the tabernacle on that memorable day, and taken into the Philistines and then returned and so on. It never returned to that structure again. But what started the idea in David's mind was this. He says, now I dwell in a house of cedars, and the Lord dwelleth in curtains. That is, there's a tent, and the ark's in it. The ark of God dwelleth in curtains. So that he begins to see that there's something inconsistent here. That is, that I have a better place than God has, and that I'm treating myself better than I'm treating divine things. Now, mind you, that's a searching point that we all need to think about. Uh, I wonder, do we really realize the importance of seeing that God gets a place, a far superior place than we ever think of giving to ourselves? Because that's the real witty lesson there. David has this exercise in his heart now. Now, don't let us forget that. God says to him, whoever asked you to do that? And, of course, he had to admit that it was to, no one had ever put it into his mind. No prophet had ever gone to say to David, now, David, you get a house built. Not like the tabernacle, you see, where Moses was told, yes, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among you. There's no such instruction given to David. On the other hand, 
Why we, I used to hear the late Mr. Dyke pointing out, or at least uh, telling us, that he didn't believe that David was right in building the temple at all. Now, I don't think that's a wise statement to make. I think that God uh, uh, did definitely prevent David from carrying out his desire. But it was not because that God was displeased with the idea of a house. But it was because that David had been a man of bloodshed. And it would only be built, this permanent structure would only be built when peace reigned in the land. You will also agree, won't you, that it was very disappointing to David to have to be told. And it was humiliating too. Now, David, what you have in mind is all right, but you're not to do it. It's not for you to do it. It's not God's will that you should touch it, that you would build it. But I want you to know, David, that it's going to be built. And better still, David, I want you to know that I'm going to establish your house. Now, that's his household, his people. And I'm also going to want you to know, David, that it be your son that will build it. One of your own posterity, and one that you can look upon and realize that he is the instrument that God will allow to build this structure. Now, that must have been, in one sense, humiliating to David. But you know, just like many another, if he can't do it himself as long as the son does it, and it will be all to the good, all to the good. And so David is not the slightest hurt or offended. You know, I think most of us now in life, uh, sometime or other, would attempt to do what we're not allowed to do. We'd like to shake the country with the gospel, but we're not always allowed to do that. We'd like to do mighty things for God. In fact, many a man has aimed and maybe succeeded to, or hope he has, in planting a new assembly, for instance. It's lovely just to be able to say, well, you know, I was the instrument used for planting that testimony for God. And that, of course, would be many a man's ambition. But, you see, others have just, some have to just forego that. And in their own humble way, just do the wee bit, the part that God would have them do. Then again, you will know, of course, that the, the structure is quite often referred to as a sanctuary. You see, what, would, what was the purpose of the building, or what was, it, uh, what, what was it for? Well, you see, it's for the ark of God. You know, it's really strange, is it not? When you think of the temple and all that it costs, as we'll see in a night or two of the Lord will, and you think of all that was involved in the structure and all the workmanship that was put into it, that when it's all over, the main thing about it is it's a shelter, it's a place where the ark will be placed. You see, that's vital. Because that ark is the symbol, as I've hinted already, of God's presence. And it's as it were... It becomes God's dwelling because God is dwelling in it. And we see when it was finished that God did dwell in it, that he had his presence there. Now he says, it's my footstool. That is, he takes his seat in heaven and where his feet down in the, in the house that, God, that, that Solomon had built. So that it was God's dwelling place. Now let us remember that. Now isn't it very strange that the chief piece of furniture, if I may call it a piece of furniture, the, piece, the chief object in it was what we would call an antique. It had been made by Moses. It had been made away back hundreds of years before this. 
And there it was carried in and set in that new surroundings. You see, it was still the symbol of God's uh, presence and God's place. Now, when you uh, think of a, a building, a temple, there are about four major things that you would have to think about. And I want to mention these in detail tonight if I can. You say, what would you think of? Well, the first thing you'd have to be pleased to put it, wouldn't you now? Be honest about it. You'd have to know where to put it. If David has decided that he'd build a house for God, and if Solomon is definitely going to build it because it's actually going to be his work, he'll have to know where to put it. You see, it's not like the tabernacle. You can't put it on your shoulders and carry it about. Those big stones and so on that were built, that were, that were used in a structure, you couldn't move those about. It must be proved. For God wants it. Now the question is, could we find the site? David didn't walk around Jerusalem and said, you don't have a nice place for it. And there, no, no, not there, that would be better. And he didn't go around and say, well, I wonder would you builders tell us now, where would be the best place to put a good big house? I want to build a house for the Lord. And I would like it in a good site. Now, you see, none of, that, none of that came into his mind. None of that ever dropped. He just had no place before. Now, he knew it would be somewhere about Zion. But to find the exact your site was the problem. Now, God uh, brought a wonderful experience into his life. We know that he failed, and we know that he numbered the people. And we know that the plague car- carried away, was it 70,000 of them? And they were dead. Uh, quite a number, anyhow, were dead. And David sees the angel with his drawn sword approaching toward the city where he dwelt. And he's crying with sackcloth. And the elders are crying in distress. And he halts the, he halts the angel, as it were. And the angel stops. And where he stops, David is instructed to build an altar. And where that altar was built, now says David, this is the place I found it. Why? Because it's here that the Lord has manifested his presence. Now that, of course, to some in the meeting may not seem a very important thing. But you remember that away back, going away back earlier, at uh, any place where the Lord manifested his presence was always a sacred spot. You take, for instance, Bethel. It never ceased in, uh, in Jacob's mind to be a very precious place. He says, put away idols, I'm going up to Bethel. That's where the Lord had appeared to him. He never forgot that. And you take uh, Mount Sinai, where the tabernacle was first erected. And you know it was on that very mountain where the Lord had appeared in the bush to, to uh, Moses. And had told him to take off the shoes from off his feet, for the place whereon he stood was holy ground. That is where God manifests his presence. And that's what made David so sure that's the place. Now you will understand from your reading of Deuteronomy, that people were to, uh, that, that God had this in mind, because people were not allowed to uh, plant a testimony for God anywhere. But God would select the site where it would be placed. So that he says, where I place my name, that's where I want you to to be. And that's what David has been guided now in a miraculous way, unexpected way. He never thought likely when all that terrible disaster was befalling the nation that it would ultimately bring about a finding of the true center, the true place, the true place for erecting the temple. 
Now, of course, you see, there are a number of typical things in that. I hope you all understand. Maybe I should stop for a second and let you know that when you're studying the temple of the old economy, you're getting a picture of a number of things that you need to ponder. First of all, I think you'll gather from my reading that the Lord's body, or let us reverently think of it, was the temple of God. You see, he was Emmanuel, God with us. And his body was the temple, the sanctuary of God. He spake of the temple of his body. Do you ever think of that? That perfect body prepared by God. Don't forget that. Wonderfully brought into this world. And in that body, that was God's sanctuary. What a sweet place it was for God to look down into the heart of his dear son. That perfect man, yet God manifest in flesh. Now that was God's sanctuary as he moves through this world. And I needn't go on with you men. I'm sure your minds work quicker than mine. And if we can point out that just as, just as, now listen, just as the literal temple of Solomon was subjected to destruction and to burning and so on, there came a time when it was the, the very place where cruel men with axes and so on, they, they, they pulled it down to pieces. Now, says the Lord Jesus, destroy this temple. That's his body. You see, there are two passages you should put together, brethren, because you need to know your Bible, because some men are very intelligent and it's very hard to talk to them. But there are two places where you should closely link together. And you could misunderstand both of them. He says, destroy this temple. He says, that's the building he's talking about. No, but he's referring to his body. And you see, later, at another time, he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And he's referring again to himself. But a whole lot of thought that he must be referring to Peter or somebody like that. I hope you're getting a hold of that. Those two passages, you need to keep them very close together. This temple, who we think that's the building is. Hey, you see, oh, so somebody put in the context, sure, isn't it? Isn't it the temple that's in I, but the Lord had something different in mind. He didn't say, I destroy that temple. He says, this temple. He's referring to his body. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. He's referring to himself. Now, get that in your mind and understand your Bible. For you can see that those are two important passages to link together. Then again, I, I want us to see that not only is the temple uh, a, a rep representing and uh, setting forth something of the wonders of the Lord's body, but it's also it's an, it's an illustration of the local assembly. Now, I didn't read the verse because I took it for granted that you knew it. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, you're God's sanctuary. So that when you're pondering the temple, you're learning assembly truth. You'll follow that now. That is, you'll see in it instructions that will help you to understand what an assembly really is in God's sight. Then again, when you're studying the, the temple... You'll easily see from chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, that's why I read that, that the believer's body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. 
Now let us get a minute of this. That is, we're holy temples. Young believer, don't forget that. That body of yours is so holy, watch the way you use it. It's not to be used for anything unclean. It's not for it to be used for anything that would, would help the enemy or in any way assist Satan to slander his people or anything like that. Watch the way you use your body. You know, that precious body of yours. You say precious body, sure, the old things fall into bits and, and I'm getting frail and stiff and sore and, and my aches and pains and uh, my sight's not so good and my ears are not so clear and uh, my throat is, 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 is not as, as clear as it used to be and I'm getting husky and I'm, I'm this and I'm that. Aye, the body might be seemingly. But remember, it's a temple of the Holy Ghost. And I would say this, that only those bodies that have been temple of the Holy Ghost will be raised when the Lord raptures his people. For it's the seal of the Spirit in the body that gives the, as it were, the mark for the resurrection at the Lord's trumpet sound. Now, have you caught that? It's an illustration of the local assembly. It's an illustration of the body of Christ. It's an illustration of the body of the believer. And it's also an illustration of the house, the big thing, as we would call it, the church which is his body. Because it says, it groweth into an holy temple in the Lord. I'm referring now to the second chapter of Ephesians. So that when I'm studying Solomon's temple... I'm getting a picture of more things than one. And then says somebody, is that all? Yes, and even then, I could go a bit further. And I could say that there are matters about it that will illustrate heaven. Now, I don't say that the temple is heaven. Don't misunderstand me. But I do believe that the sanctuary that we're going to, to dwell in forever, is in some way or other, uh, pictured in, in measure anyhow, in Solomon's temple, that wonderful structure in uh, Jerusalem. I've said a whole lot. Now, when you are thinking of building a temple, I said you'd need to know where to put it. Well, I think try to settle that in our mind. The next thing you would need to know would be the plan of it. The plan of it. Because, you see, it was quite simple and obvious. Now you think this all out. For, for Moses to build the tabernacle, and you know the words, you've heard it preached that often, I don't need to hardly more than mention them. See that you make all things according to the potter. That is, God would always want to have the full say in the architecture of his temple. And he would have his full say on this occasion uh, in that matter. So that, and now think it over very carefully, that is to say, it just wasn't something that David says, Do you know, I have a good head for buildings. And I think I, I would like it this way and I'd like it that way. No, no, God didn't allow him to do that. It wasn't a, a stretch of his imagination. God gave him the plan and he put it down in writing and left in no doubt as to how it should be constructed and as to what should be built. Now, isn't it great to know? Now, let, let us be wise in these things. That when it comes to, for instance, the local assembly, God has still a pattern. People say, well, we'll just do it this way because it's very handy for us and we like it this way. But it's not what you like or what you want by your own taste that's in question. It's what God has said. He has a say in his own house. And if the house be for God, you'll have to give him some say in it. 
He'd be a very strange man that would be going to build a house and he'd have nothing to say as to what it's going to be like or what it's going to be, or what it's going to be, what shape it is, or what size it's going to be. You see, God decided it all and he gave the plans. And David got those plans from God. Now that showed that when David got the plans, he was really in a spiritual state of mind and in a condition where God couldn't trust to him. And he had no doubts about it. The plan and the, the, the details of the temple. That's a marvellous thought, you know. So you need, you need not only a place to put it, but you would need plans for to build it. Then again, when you would have that done, uh, you would certainly uh, need uh, the material or the provision of the material to build it. <laughs> you are starting to put out on a, on a rocky face or wherever it was. And uh, it, it would, you'd, need, you'd need material to, to put into it. Now, isn't, isn't it very interesting to say, I think it's more than interesting to say, that before ever uh, anything was done by Solomon, that David had already made every possible provision for building the temple. You know, it's marvellous to think that he even had the, those large stones. I don't think we have the slightest idea of the size of the stones, you see, that they used in the structure. We'll be looking at them maybe some other night, a wee bit more in detail. And he had, he had thought of the stonework. Now, I need, I need that. And then he had, thought of, uh, he had thought of the words that he would need. He would need cedar wood, and he would need olive wood, and he would need cypress wood. He would need all these different timbers for it. And he got those gathered up. Plenty of time to season them, you know. And then, ah, that, that's just somebody. And then he needed gold, eh? Mm-hmm. Come on now. If you had what gold was in the temple, in present day values, I don't think there's a man on earth could value what, what really the gold would be worth that was, that was ready for that. You know, mind you, a lorry load of gold would be some, would be worth something even in our day. And uh, I don't know how much or, or uh, when it comes to some of these things, did you notice the way your Bible words it? it was, without weight, you couldn't measure it. It was something away beyond thought. But the gold, so many talents, and so many this, that, and the other, and he had heaps of it. You see, you know, there's going to be a lot of gold used, you know. It's going to be plastered with gold. The floor's going to be gold. And there's going to be a golden ceiling in it. And you know, there's going to need, need gold just the way we need, need a bit of plaster for a house in our day. So that it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be a costly business, this. And David has all that provided. Now we'll have to think this over. And I'll, I'll be back on that in a minute or two, maybe. He had those provisions. But then he had more than that. He had to think of this. Well, you not only need uh, material when you're going to build something, but you need men to do it. Hmm? Now he says, Solomon, don't you worry. I have men instructed as to what they'll do and how they'll do it. I have them all in training. So that before ever a stone was laid, or a beam was lifted, or a hammer was used, I don't think there was any noise made, I would see that in a, in a, in a short time, but I, I, before ever any action was taken in the erection of this, it was all provided and all ready. You know, that's a, that is a marvellous thing. That takes away a wee bit now, a wee bit of the glory of, of Solomon. 
you know, some of you builders were, I know just the, what we call the, the quantity surveyor we talk about him and he was working at that end of things and then you'd have the, the actual man that would do the ordering of the stuff and getting the material down and getting it down at the right time and not have men standing looking around them wondering where the bricks are going to arrive or wonder where the, the rafters will come. You'd like to have the right order of things and everything in good time. Now there it is. See, David knows where to put it now. He knows where to gather up the stuff. I'm not saying he left the gold out in the, in the open. I'm not saying where he had it. But there it is. Then he says, you need iron. And you need nails. And I have all that provided. And uh, you'll, you'll need quite a lot of things. And I'll have all that in store. You'll just, just, it's just a matter of assembly. I was nearly going to say that all Solomon was at the finish was an assembler of material that was already in existence. He was putting together what had already been provided earlier. Now I wonder, can we learn anything from that? I wonder, dear brother, do you ever think that much of the material that you're using, somebody else maybe had it gathered up before maybe you ever used it? Hmm? I think that's a solemn thought, isn't it? You take as many messages you listen to and the public ministry that you hear and the addresses that are given. Now, if you were to milk out of them all that was already maybe gathered by somebody else and collected by somebody else, you'd be surprised how little was left. Very few of us can say anything but somebody has said it before we were born. And very few of us can write anything but somebody wrote it before ever we saw it or even thought of it. And a great many of the expressions that we're using and the many phrases that we come off with on the platform and write phrases, good phrases, we owe them to other men who coined them before ever we used them. Don't let us forget, brethren, we're just a lot of indebtors, you know. A lot of debtors. We owe a lot to others. Uh, that's why I feel so sorry about some people. They never seem to think they need to learn anything. They nearly imagine in their folly that they're self-made and they're just it. And if you would go to lands, now I'm not going to tell you any particular land, but if you go to lands where there's very limited gift, you'd be amazed how little gift is there. And you, you younger men should appreciate the fact, at least I appreciate it anyhow, that I was reared at a time when there were highly gifted men in the north of Ireland. I'm not saying I never came among them, as you know I didn't. I don't need to tell you that. But there were really gifted men. I was listening to one, uh, the other uh, man turned it on to me. I wasn't asking him for it, you may be sure. But he says, I'd better let you hear Mr. So-and-so. And he let me hear him. And I just says to myself, well, now, I never see the day when I could preach as well as that. I knew that. Like, I know the limitations. Um, it's everything. But this is what we want to get to know. When them men were lifting the stones and putting in the rafters and putting in the floors and whatever they did, whatever they were doing, they were owing it to men that had labored before they used them. Now, you younger folk remember that. That you come into the benefit of other men's labors. And you get the good of that. And the, the sisters listening in the assembly, they're getting the good of what others have has prepared. So that we're indebted all our lifetime. We're indebted to what others have done before us. You know, you might have said, my Solomon, you can, you can bet. Man, Solomon, you're a, you're a wonderful man. Do you know what I'd have to tell you? See, you know, it hadn't been from my daddy. There'd been a whole lot of this I never would have been putting up at all. For I would never have, I could never have got all this accomplished. Now, we need to remember that. 
Then another thought we need to have in mind. And that is very prominent in this. Now you know that when it came to building the tabernacle, and that's the structure of the tent structure of the old economy, it was only Israelites that worked at it. Now keep this in your mind. It was limited to Israelites. Round Mount Sinai, there was no Egyptians called into it. There were no Egyptians called into it. There was nobody like that asked to help. But when it comes to building the temple, it's Haram and the Zidonians and the Gentiles working with the Jews, or we might call them the Hebrews, at the building of the structure. Oh, so somebody, I don't know what lesson you get in that. Well, of course, uh, that brings me very specially to Ephesians chapter 2. For you know that in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, You're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. And then he says, concerning the, 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 the Gentiles, he says, You also are built together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. That's not the local assembly there. Don't be silly. Handle the battle by the right. But he's referring to the fact that you Gentiles that had no place in this at all and had no part in this at all, you also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. In other words, the temple was illustrating an advancement on the tabernacle in this sense that it was more universal because it's a house of prayer for all nations. I'm not saying all nations walked into it, but it's, it was a house of prayer for all nations. God intended not only the Jewish people or the Israelite people uh, to experience and enjoy his presence, but he's allowing Gentiles' hands to, put, to be put to the structure. And actually, the masterpieces that particularly in dealing with brass was the man from, uh, from, uh, nor, nor, from the north and was not a Hebrew, uh, not a full Hebrew anyhow uh, in his uh, genealogy. Now, we come to facing another fact, and that is this, uh, that is, we have to see how important it was that when that structure was going to be built, that there would be men capable of doing the job. Now you might say we have great days men nowadays. I never like to hear them. I never like to hear them saying, you know, oh, there were men, there were men years ago did that, and you know, there's not a man on earth could do that. I remember throwing a door down to get some glass put into it, and a poor fellow that I'd gone to school with, he says to me, he says, see, I say, boy, where'd you get that door? We asked the kill door, you know, it was only getting me pains put into it. See, where'd you get that door? Says, I says, uh, that one must be a queer age. She says, nobody on earth could, could make that now. She says, you're looking at the man. <laughs> and he was, he was all taken aback. I, I, you're just looking at the man. Oh, she says, you didn't do that? I said, certainly, that's, that's why I'm getting the glass work. And you see, he thought, sure, it was something that was just out of the other world or something. We're needing my daft. They're good salesmen on the hand. They're men with hands yet, you know, and have heads yet, and so on. But mind you, you will agree now, will you not agree? That whether you think of the vast stones that were used in the building, or think of the, 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 the panelling of the walls, and then the, the carving out of the figures on them, and then the squeezing of the gold into them, and all that, mind you, that, wasn't, that was no awkward man's job. And then when you think of those brazen pillars 
with all the artistic work that was on them. They were speaking on them some of these nights. When you think of all that, mind you, it was no ignoramus's job. It certainly wasn't. And the man that could do that must have been a tradesman of the first order. Now, any sort of work wouldn't do that. It wouldn't just do. It would have to be done right. And a man would need to know what he was doing. Now, I, I'll admit, I would be baffled even to read the story, to know how they ever moved the big stones to where they did, and how they ever got all the structure up. I couldn't imagine it. You know, they had no... Uh, uh, no big jibs or no big cranes then and there's no Goliath hanging over this place and, and swinging at the boat or anything like that they must have had real skill of course you have the same problem I suppose understanding the pyramids in Egypt where they were able to get the stones erected as they did is still a mystery I suppose to many men uh, some thought they built the mounds or something and slid them up but I don't know but certainly how they ever managed to get the structure up is a problem that I can't solve Nevertheless, what we want to get at is this. When God has a work to do, he fit men to do it. Can you get that? And he'll enable men to accomplish what looks to be humanly impossible. Now, when it comes to building the local assembly, for example, if we took that as a temple, or if it comes to the building of the body of Christ, the bringing in of the unsaved, after all, hasn't God wrought wonders? Hasn't he fitted men amazingly? Amazingly. Fitted human beings. Not only just to be able to read the Bible, or not maybe able to stand up on a platform and, and speak for an hour, for you know Quanti can do that with no great difficulty, but so gifted them that they could not only preach and talk and tell, and tell it intelligently, but tell it effectively. See, that's a difference. It's one thing to give out truth intelligently it's another thing to give it out effectively but God gives the power and gives the ability and gives the, the strength and his fitness for those who are engaged in his work so that God provided the man, the men with their fitness and so on now listen it wouldn't have done in my judgment I think and you'll agree to it too that the stone men who could saw stones or cut stones and who could make them so tight that they just touched each other and you could hardly put a knife to sit in between them. And could um, do all sorts of real work along that way. Now he may not have been able, he may not have been able to have put the gold on the side of the walls, you see. And he mightn't have been able to have carved out the figures that we'll look at some other night. You follow what I mean? In other words, we have got to see that the gift is variety. And it's very unwise of us, and I suppose I need to learn, hardly learn it now, but it's very unwise of us to attempt to do something that God never fitted us to do. I think it was the late Mr. Uh, George Gould, the man from Eden Derry. Uh, Mr. George Gould said, when listening to certain men doing the things, isn't he handy? Isn't he handy? He meant to say it didn't come awkward to him. And you know, sometimes we have to endure. Now it is enduring. Uh, men attempting what God never intended them to do. And you might as well try to fly in the air as to try to do what God doesn't fit to do. You see, gift is not just um, not your ability. 
And it's not just developed, not your lability, nor is it sanctified, not your lability. My somebody, that's powerful language to use. No, it's not. It's more than that. It's something given by the risen head, and something that God imparts to individuals in his own sovereign way, very often uses men we would think he shouldn't use. Uses men that we would think are not as good men as we'd like them to be. But he doesn't. You can't argue with him. He's sovereign. And he just takes control. But he does fit men to do what he wants done. And so he has uh, enabled the Apostle Paul to be a wise master builder and to lay foundations in Corinth and in other places uh, of assemblies. And he, he gave him the ability, the ability to do it in that effective way that brought about the results that God intended him to do. Now you would say that you have gone over a lot of material in connection with these, these different uh, different buildings and so on and uh, general points along that line I wonder what the whole thing was about I wonder can we get down tonight to real facts because that's what we want these meetings to be just something not just to develop our minds my mind's nearly past developing I suppose I hope it's not but uh, just not to to squeeze our brain and make us feel tired when the meeting's over I wonder do you ever think dear child of God why you're in the body tonight? Why are you in this body? Now remember, the moment you trusted Christ, you were ready for heaven as you are now. God wanted a sanctuary, and He's left you in the body with His presence in you, His Holy Spirit indwelling you. And he means you to be a sanctuary where he will be praised and where he will be worshipped and where incense will ascend from your heart as the days go by. Now get a hold of that. You know the, the world you live in. And you know the way people act. Now we're not hard on them. We leave the world that never, never, never will improve. You needn't expect that. But you know the temptation for many Christians is not to do all that the world would do. They're not to go as far as the worldlings would go, but just to keep a wee bit more deserved. At the same time, to almost imagine the only way that life's worth living is to enjoy the things of this world. I mean, that's a big deception. I hope all of us know what it is to have pride in our hearts and souls. And God worshipped and God adored in our very being. Mind you, I hope that's a very practical lesson for us to learn. Then the big question again would come quickly into our minds. And rightly so. Why does God in mind when he plants an assembly in a particular area? What is the chief thing he has in mind? Well, there are many things I know, because there'd be, it's a light and a testimony and it's a lampstand. We, we could preach from the Revelation and prove that without a question. You could go under a number of, of, of lessons. But what about, now, when all's said and done, what is it that really makes an assembly what God wants it to be? A place where his presence is enjoyed. Now remember, dear brothers and sisters, 
There's nothing should give us more burden and more grief and more distress than to come together and not be conscious of the Lord's presence when we are together. That would mean, that would mean that the assembly is not fulfilling the purpose for which it exists. Now you remember this. The temple of Solomon could never be destroyed by the enemy as long as God's presence was in it. As long as God's presence was in it, it would still be maintained. But you remember, don't you? I hope you do know your Bible. Maybe you don't follow with these parts of your Bible. But you remember the book of Ezekiel shows us how that the Lord's presence moved out of the house and it moved up the, the mountain and was removed from it. And it wasn't very long after that till Nebuchadnezzar's army, or at least the Chaldean army, was capable of burning to the ground all the precious treasures. Burned stripped and robbed what has happened to somebody what has happened they couldn't have done that if God were there they could never have done that if his presence had been in it you say how can I be sure that the assembly is going to survive and will be maintained and the testimony will be for the glory of God in which I am a member Remember, it's God's presence. Oh, coveted, dear saints of God. Coveted. Because it's God in your company and his presence enjoyed and his power experience that makes it distinct from all the systems and all the machinery that's going on around us. Oh, so somebody, I think, I think we would do better if we would get this entertainment and get that excitement and get some big storm up and get some big rousing up. We would do great big things. Now, dear souls, that's not how assemblies exist, and that will not preserve them. For if you try to cater, as companies have done in, in the past, for the flesh and the world around you, you'll find, you'll find you'll never satisfy it. And you'll find you'll drift further away until there not be a mark of an assembly about it. These are solemn things. I hope the weight of them will be felt in our heart. Isn't it lovely to turn from human failure and from the weakness that we might see in the things of man and think of our blessed Lord and that wonderful experience traveling through this world. God's Holy Spirit without limit enjoyed in his pathway never a thought over his mind but in full harmony with God and God finding a sanctuary in his own son that lovely God finding a sanctuary in his own son and the delighting of the heart of God with the perfections of our Lord Jesus I hope we revel in this dear souls I hope when we're remembering him on a Lord's Day morning, we revel not just in what we have received from Christ, blessed be his name, we come especially to think of that, but we can also think of what God found in Christ and the delight of the heart of God as he viewed that perfect man, his body, his body, God's temple and God's sanctuary. 
Then, just to switch our minds a wee bit further afield, a wee bit further above, isn't it wonderful to think that God is going to find throughout eternity, now we're in a big sphere now, in that church which is his body, it groweth into an holy temple in the Lord. That is to say that God will have a temple forever. A sanctuary, and what will it be composed of? All the believers, bound together, Jew and Gentile, in oneness, enjoying God for all eternity. Hmm? In other words, the same God who gave directions for building Solomon's temple has in mind a greater temple than that, composed of all the living stones of the believers, burned together with bonds that will never be broken, and where it will be a dwelling place for God to dwell in throughout all eternity. I hope we appreciate that. And then, of course, if we even dare do it, I suppose we can. We can think a little as we view Solomon's temple in the nights to come on the will of God. There are certain uh, features of it. That's not unlike what we would imagine is going to be, or what we would think is going to be, the abode in which we will be forever. It's remarkable, dear saints of God. Maybe you don't think of these things, but wouldn't you love that God had taken time to give you... <coughs> in his word a whole detailed description of the house above to which we're going when we pass off earth hmm? <coughs> wouldn't you like him to have told you all about it wouldn't you also some of those golden streets and where did you get that got that in Revelation maybe you didn't know that that was symbolic of course and uh, you maybe didn't understand that passage too well but leaving that alone you see God's not wanting to get us occupied with the structures around us in heaven he wouldn't think that we would be captivated with that you're soon tired looking at it mother what you're looking at you get tired looking at it but he wants us to realize that our heaven above is not the place that we're in but it's the person that we enjoy and we'll find an eternity of delight in the son of his love and will rejoice with him throughout eternal ages we'll not be thinking so much of the structures nor we'll not be gazing so much at the majesty and wonder of the, the place but we will be occupied and completely enraptured with the great person who has brought us to himself our blessed Lord Jesus Christ now this is just an introduction to the subject. You can see I haven't gone into details too clearly, but I've got it introduced to your mind. I hope you're grasping it now, that you're a holy temple in the Lord. That your body's a sanctuary. Don't defile it. Don't play with it. Don't fool about with it. Use it for God's glory. Don't wear it out in nonsense and silly things. Use it for the glory of God. And be thankful that's individual if you're in God's assembly and that's where you should be then you realize that it's a sanctuary where God's presence is enjoyed where the Spirit's power is, is experienced and where the saints are really enjoying the Lord together and may we all appreciate the fact that the moment we put our trust in Christ we were put into that one body that will be the dwelling place of God throughout all eternity shall we pray